Hello, my name is Nick Bright, scholar of East Asian religions. And I'm Proven Paradox, a guy with a lot of questions. And you're listening to Bright on Buddhism, a podcast where we discuss East Asian Buddhism, answering listener-submitted questions from listeners just like you, and introducing concepts of Buddhism that you may or may not be familiar with in a casual, conversational setting. Enjoy. Hermit, do you think that there is something that the Buddha is not telling us? What do you mean? Do you think that there is a secret teaching, a secret knowledge about enlightenment or how to get there, that he withholds even from the bodhisattvas? Hmm, that's an interesting question. On the one hand, we could fill many oceans if everything we did not know was one drop of water. On the other hand, the monks say that the dharma that he reveals to us is the subtle and beautiful teaching, and not the crude and obvious teaching. They compare it to a diamond in the rough. I have heard them say that too. I don't doubt the Buddha or his teaching, but I'm frequently in awe at the deep and broad knowledge of the Tathagata, and I'm often curious about what interesting things he must know about the things and the people in our lives. Indeed, it is hard to know if he holds any secrets or if he has told them all to us. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Bride on Buddhism. This week we will be discussing the Tantras. What are the Tantras? What do they contain? How do they relate to other East Asian religious traditions? We hope you enjoy. So, what are the Tantras? Tantras are texts of varying types and kinds that concern ritual and doctrine in predominantly esoteric movements in various Asian religions. The root of the word refers to a thread or to a string, and the word Tantra has been vaguely translated to mean to weave or to otherwise create a textual framework of some kind. This refers to their function in all of the Asian religions in which they come up, which is to weave together words to create a cloth that represents or demonstrates a doctrine or a teaching of some kind. In Buddhism, they are differentiated from other texts like sutras and the Vinaya texts because they refer to esoteric knowledge and practice which is subtle and initiatory and can only be accessed by experiential means. These teachings and practices are not the words of Shakyamuni Buddha, which are thought of in esoteric traditions as being the obvious, crude, and revealed teaching, which is not the best or quickest way to attain Buddhahood. In esoteric religious movements within Asian religions, broadly speaking, the argument is that analysis of the texts gets in the way of attaining awakening, and so tantras serve as an alternative. They describe rituals, practices, or ways of thinking of the teachings which cause instantaneous awakening, be it Buddhahood in the case of Buddhism or liberation in Hinduism and Brahminical traditions. The esoteric versus exoteric distinction actually exists in many religious traditions around the world, and broadly speaking, tantras are texts which inform esoteric teachings and practices in esoteric movements in Central, South, and East Asian religions. The esoteric rituals and practices which are described in the tantras can take a wide variety of different forms from meditation, to chanting, to the creation of a mandala. Defining this genre of texts is virtually impossible because of the huge amount of space and time within which they're found in history. The fact that they do come up in so many places and so many time periods means that there's a huge amount of diversity and variety in their content, their form, and their uses. However, we can still loosely say that tantras are treatises that inform esoteric or tantric religious practice. Esoteric and Tantric are often used interchangeably, and I have some problems with that that are very detailed and we don't need to get into right now, and you can just kind of think of them as being 
mostly the same. Tantric is kind of esoteric that makes use of tantras, if that makes sense. These ritualized practices, like we said, include chanting, they include body movements, breath control, body posing, and all of the practices we described in the Buddhist tantric tradition, which are meditation, chanting, mandala creation, and others. In Buddhism in particular, the tantras take on a specific role and category unto themselves. We have said on this show several times that Buddhism is the largest producer of sacred words in the entire world, and that being the case, it becomes a non-trivial issue to try and place tantras in the textual tradition of Buddhism. To set the scene, we can think roughly in Venn diagrams to make sense of this. In one circle, we have the texts which are attributed to Shakyamuni Buddha. These are the things that he said, that he preached, to a variety of audiences, either to the bodhisattvas or to the monks and monastics or to just everybody, as in the case of the sutras. This circle mostly lines up, but not quite, with the Tripitaka, or the three baskets, which are the sutras, vinyas, and abhidharmas. There are texts in the Tripitaka which are attributed to Shariputra, Avalokiteshvara, or were authored in China and cannot historically be attributable to Shakyamuni Buddha. Outside of either circle, of Tripitaka or of texts attributable to Shakyamuni Buddha, there are ritual texts, commentarial literature, and treatises. You can think of these like essays about the texts which were attributed to Shakyamuni or about the texts within the Tripitaka, the canon. These essays can argue about the meaning or the content of the texts, as in the commentaries, or they can argue about the application of the doctrine, as in the treatises, or they can be explanatory essays about ritual based on the texts. Now let's bring Buddhist tantras into the picture. Their circle, in this Venn diagram, is actually a lot more hazily defined even than the other ones that we've created in our minds so far. They can be interpretive and commentarial, like commentaries and treatises, or they can be practical, like ritual texts. But they can also be narratives, like the sutras, sometimes even having a Buddha as a character in them. The common thread between them all that separates them from the other texts we've talked about is that they describe and inform ritual and practice along these lines of esoteric means of attaining awakening rather than containing a sermon or a narrative aimed at teaching an audience a particular doctrine attributed to a Buddha. This is what esoteric Buddhists often say is the case for the mainstream Buddhist canon attributed to Shakyamuni and others. They say that they create a textual framework which is unnecessarily difficult, complicated, and interpretive, and just does not constitute the easiest means of attaining awakening. Before we get into the contents of the Buddhist tantras, let's do some decolonizing. In the 20th century, and even still now, there is a Western Orientalist view of the tantras, and this is the tantras speaking in Asian religions broadly, not just the Buddhist tantras, as relating directly to a distinct movement called tantrism. This movement, it has been argued, contains characteristics of being secret and mystical, and often engaging in scary and mysterious physical practices to attain secret knowledge. These practices include tantric sex, yoga, and other stuff. For example, the only Indian religious text that many Westerners can name to this very day is the Kama Sutra. They think that the Kama Sutra is a manual of tantric sex stuff, but actually, it's a manual on how to have a healthy relationship to one's own sexuality and emotions such that you can cultivate a healthy relationship to your partner's sexuality and emotions. However, given that the Westerners that have been reading these texts and translating them in the 20th century and beyond, were and have been predominantly emotionally and sexually repressed Christians, it might as well have been hardcore pornography. The very idea of tantrism is a colonial invention, 
and the stereotype about the sex stuff has been extremely harmful. It has contributed significantly to a fetishization of Asian people by Westerners and a fetishization of Indian religions as being mystical and magical and bequeathing sacred knowledge to its practitioners, and so on and so forth. Let's just not bother with any of that nonsense. The use of the tantras, and even esoteric Buddhism as a whole, is not a distinct religious entity unto itself. It's the result of movements within larger traditions to emphasize this text or practice over that text or practice, and it's also the result of localization of religious practice and tradition to a specific place, culture, and time. Then, we should also not forget the role of chance in this whole thing. Sometimes the way something looks is not by design. It's just the fact that this text or practice just happened to arrive in this time or place before another one, or that this text or practice became heavily emphasized and not that one. That being the case, we can't think of tantrism or esotericism as existing unto itself, but rather we should think of it in context and do away with the harmful stereotypes that we might have about it. What do Buddhist tantras contain? Since there's such a varied and diverse genre of literature, it's hard to cover what they all contain, but we can start from some of the most important characteristics, especially of the most important ones, and then work our way out for from there. If we go back to the imaginary Venn diagram that we were creating in our minds, the reason that Buddhist Tantra's circle is so hazy is because they are very frequently symbolic representations of a teaching or a ritual that has been written out in words. The symbolic function of that representation often differs. They could be symbolically representing a teaching, such as to make a mandalic description of that teaching. They could be distilling the teaching of a text or of a practice for memorization and recitation. Or they could be putting this teaching or practice into a narrative which informs some sort of ritual that is done by the people who engage with the text. If you remember our discussion of dharani and mantra, they are often but not always contained within these texts that we call tantras. Indeed, there's a clear and obvious presence of the esoteric function and nature of language in these tantric texts. Tantras are also where we see descriptions of and doctrines relating to Vairachana, the cosmic Buddha of esoteric Buddhism. We also see the esoteric Trikaya doctrine that I talked about in previous episodes, such as the Shingon episode, where I described how the Shingon Buddhists, and esoteric Buddhists largely, view the entire world as being the Dharma body of Vairachana. These esoteric Buddhist things and more are the primary concern of Buddhist tantras. There are treatises on Vairachana and his enlightenment. There are texts which describe the construction of mandalas for ritual use. There are texts which explain the doctrine of emptiness and other doctrines in a symbolic way similar to the construction of a verbal matrix. And there are texts which describe and discuss the three mysteries of body, speech, and mind as they relate to the attainment of Buddhahood in this very body, in this very instant. The commonalities are that they all are pointed toward a particular understanding of the best way to attain Buddhahood, which does not make extensive use of the texts in the Tripitaka canon for the most part, but instead makes use of the rituals and practices described in the tantras. Some of the most important tantras are the Vairachana Abhisambodhi Sutra, which describes the enlightenment of Vairachana, the Vajrasekara Sutra, which describes Vairachana giving the doctrine of mandalas and instantaneous Buddhahood to his disciple Vajrasattva, and the Nilakantha Dharani, which is a dharani about the 1,000-armed Avalokiteshvara and the nature of compassion. These texts are expressly not attributed to Shakyamuni Buddha, but they contain members of the Buddhist pantheon, like Avalokiteshvara, and 
They are studied and used extensively in esoteric Buddhist traditions in Asia, including Vajrayana, Shingon, and others. What is interesting about them is that they also contain members of other pantheons too, like the Indian, Central Asian, Tibetan, Chinese, and Japanese pantheons. Because of that, you can see that they have a significant relationship to other Asian religious traditions. This is kind of a shot in the dark, but as we've been discussing this, I've been thinking it seems like a Western equivalent might be a grimoire, which could be an esoteric Western traditions, the kind of basis where, you know, you would see people spelling magic with a K, the open grimoire, or, you know, something like the Lesser Key of Solomon, or those kind of books, seem like that might be an equivalent that a Westerner might already be familiar with, or maybe somewhere in a similar ballpark. That's actually not a bad way to think about it, because that text is sort of like an esoteric thing in that it doesn't just tell you the nature of whatever the ritual that it describes causes you to experience. It doesn't tell you the answers to the test. It just kind of tells you the best way to take the test, so to speak, if we're going to use a metaphor of like taking an exam. The idea is that the exoteric texts give you the answers. They just tell you, and they don't tell you according to the esoteric traditions, in the most clear and available way. Text, it has a lot of meanings, and it's interpretive, and you can get stuck in the analysis just trying to figure out actually what it says, and that just stops you from actually having the experience which the rituals described in the tantric texts, which they give you, which they allow you to have the experiential knowledge and awakening and realization that these tantric traditions want you to have. The grimoire seems kind of similar, right? It doesn't tell you specifically in words X, Y, or Z is or is not the case. It actually tells you here's how you do X, Y, or Z. And the experience that you have is the experience that you have. I've read a few open grimoires and it seems like a similar thing. Those kinds of texts very much have an emphasis on here is what you need to do. It is calling on the reader to act. There are many cases in the tantric texts where they are explicit ritual manuals, like you're describing, where they give you the steps and they give you the materials and so on and so forth. Sometimes they even give you what to chant or what to say while you're doing X, Y, and Z with the materials. The tantric texts can also sometimes have stories or they have, in some cases, like the Vairachana Abhisambodhi Sutra. They actually have Vairachana saying to Vajrasattva what to do and why. And so they will nest that ritual manual inside of a narrative. And my theory about this is that it, it's an attempt to try and elevate the Tantra to the level of the Sutra and say like, hey, well, your Sutras, they're all attributed to this guy who did attain Buddhahood, but he kind of did it the hard way. And he explained it in a way that is complementary, but still kind of inferior to our way. The texts that we have were actually said by the cosmic Buddha, and your guy is actually just a manifestation of our guy. We've got it closer to the source, right? So there is a little bit of that stuff going on in the tantras. And that's where we see these characters from these other pantheons come in, right? They're attempting not only to tell you what to do to have X, Y, or Z experience, but they're also trying to tell you why you should believe them. And they're also trying to contextualize themselves within the circulating cultural and textual tradition in which they find themselves. And so 
that's the reason why they can become like very complicated and very difficult to understand texts for Westerners, because they are at the furthest affective distance that they could possibly get from us and from our experiences, right? They're engaging with so many layers of history and culture and tradition and religion that we've really only ever scratched the surface of. And so that kind of leads to this problem I mentioned before, where people read them and they think that they have this ancient mystical knowledge, when actually, they're actually saying some of the similar stuff that we would be saying in the West with some of these texts. They are just using different characters and different key words to actually accomplish the saying of that thing, right? And that's not to say that inherently Western and Eastern religion is the same. It's actually just to say that we're getting caught up in the fact that we just don't know all of these different layers of history and culture and religion that are influencing these texts. And that leads us to just kind of write them all off as being secret and mystical. And I don't really think that they're that way. By definition, they're esoteric, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they contain what these Westerners who look upon Asia in a bad way say they contain. All right, let's get back to the script. So, how do the Tantras relate to other Asian religious traditions? Tantric texts and esoteric Buddhism at large are and have been incredibly influential on and influenced by other religious traditions which they exist around. This is in part due to the fact that they are movements within religious traditions, like I said, but also due to the fact that the religious and cultural landscape of a given place is always more complicated than meets the eye. Starting with Buddhism and Brahmanism, during Buddhism's infancy, for example, we can see tantras emerging as texts offering a variety of means of attaining Buddhahood or enlightenment that are alternatives to the exoteric framework of the Tripitaka. Buddhism emerged as its own ritual and meditation tradition that came later to distinguish itself doctrinally from Brahmanism. And tantras, which had already been authored and used for a very long time by pre-Buddhist Indian religions by that point, offered a third option, not the Buddhist way or the Brahmanical way. If you don't want to meditate the Hindu way or the Buddhist way, here is the yogic or the tantric way, which does not make use of the same tools that the other two make use of. In that regard, the debates going on between Brahmanical traditions and Buddhist traditions was in some ways mediated by tantric texts and movements within each tradition in the early stages of Buddhism's development. Moving on to Tibet, Central Asian tantric texts were heavily influential on the establishment of Vajrayana Buddhism, which we actually often say in the West is called esoteric Buddhism. We think of this as its own distinct sectarian religious institution that is by definition esoteric. It's not actually completely, totally esoteric. Vajrayana actually shares a lot of characteristics with Mahayana and so on, but the tantric texts and the esoteric doctrines that they describe and that are within them and the rituals that they describe are heavily influential on Vajrayana Buddhism in Tibet. The idea is that Tibetan indigenous religions and tantric textual traditions existed in Tibet before Buddhism got there in the 8th century common era. And thus, when Buddhism arrived, the result was a syncretic tradition which shared some of the characteristics of tantric practice, the Tibetan religion of bone, and of Buddhism. The same is true as Buddhism and tantric texts enter China and Japan. The indigenous religious traditions, the Buddhist texts, and the tantric texts all came together to create a manifestation of Buddhism that was vastly different from any other manifestation in each place and time. 
They're highly influential in Japan in particular. My latest research project concerns esoteric Buddhism in Japan. Esoteric Buddhism in Japan is heavily influential on Japanese art, literature, culture, and society, especially in the medieval period from the 800s to the 1500s common era. And so by studying those, you can sort of reverse engineer developments in esoteric Buddhist thought and discourse in Japan during that time period. On the flip side, the presence of other deities from other pantheons is an obvious point where other religious traditions have influenced the tantras and not the other way around. That is to say that where there is a Buddha in a tantric text, it goes without saying that that tantra was influenced by the presence of Buddhism, given the fact that there's nothing inherently Buddhist about tantras as a genre of literature. Buddhist tantras are a subgenre of tantras as a whole, and so anytime that we see anything from the Buddhist tradition, from the Hindu tradition, from the Japanese Shinto tradition, or any other religious tradition, we can say that religious tradition is influencing a subgenre of tantras as a whole. We hope you enjoyed our discussion of tantras in Buddhism. Join us next week where we will discuss Madhgalyayana. Who is Madhgalyayana? What role does he play in the texts? What are some stories about? We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. See you next time. My name is Nick Bright, scholar of East Asian religions and voice of hearer. And I'm Docs, editor, question asker, and voice of hermit. And this is Med Bright on Buddhism. Thank you for listening. If you like our podcast, or if you have a question you'd like us to discuss, we'd love to hear from you. Please consider leaving a comment or review, subscribing, or joining us on social media. Email us at bright.on.buddhism at gmail.com, or find us on Mastodon at brightbuddhism at mstdn.party. As always, citations and resources for this episode can be found in the show notes. Thank you.